are sick about hearing of January 6th, okay? Liberals love it, but it's a loser of an issue. They keep lying about it today. They thought, hey, they had an all-star witness that was going to change everything. It didn't, but I am sick of it. I'm not going to talk about it right now. We'll have to address it later, but first, once again, thank you, Clarence Thomas, Justice Thomas. He has had such an amazing impact on this country for the good, uh, and they hate him for that, especially Hillary Clinton. Not only what he stands for, but that he has had such an impact. And she, for all of her ambition, hasn't really contributed all that much. And it's getting personal. Clearly, she wants to be president. She's still running. Um, but this was totally uncalled for and possibly a little racist. He's signaling, as he often did. You know, people, I went to law school with him. Mm -hmm. He's been a person of grievance for as long as I've known him. Resentment, grievance, anger. Some might say those are racist tropes because Hillary Clinton does not know Justice Thomas well. I mean, there's no indication of this. Now, they did go to law school at roughly the same time. Bill and Hillary met at Yale Law School, and Justice Thomas was a year behind. Bill Clinton, in his book, actually wrote about Justice Thomas, but Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas was a classmate, too. But I never got to know him. Hillary has written several books. We went through all of them. Not a word. <laughs> no mention of Clarence Thomas. So I wonder how well they knew each other, but they were at Yale at the same time. Hey, how about the whole idea? Yeah, I keep hearing about systemic racism and all the horrible things that have happened to people of color, and the left sanctions it. Maybe, just maybe, Clarence Thomas went through some of that himself, and he shares in that resentment, and I don't know, to hold that against him seems very, very unfair. But Hillary, that's how she rolls, and she's trying to exploit the Roe v. Wade decision. The thing that uh, is, well, there's so many things about it that are deeply distressing, but women are going to die, Gay. It's possible, therefore, for American students of any color to attend any public... I mean, well, how, 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 where? How is that actually going to happen? What can we do to prevent it? No discussion of that, just scare tactics. But women are dying right now, women and men at the border. Did you see this? 50 people in that truck, a combination of heat exhaustion and suffocation. Migrants led into this country uh, because the border has essentially collapsed. We all know that. What a horrible tragedy. Tragedy unfolding in San Antonio after dozens of migrants found dead in an 18-wheeler in a suspected case of human smuggling. The migrants were found in a rural road on the southwest side of San Antonio. They were packed in the big rig in the summer heat, some of them children. And there's not much sympathy. There's not much discussion. We hear all about these theoretical inconveniences that will happen, but there's not much concern. What did the White House say about this? Uh, we're focused on them, on the facts, uh, on, and holding the human strugglers who endangered uh, vulnerable individual, uh, individuals for profits accountable. Uh, and, we're, and we're focused on continuing our historic actions to disrupt dangerous smuggling networks, including through new uh, anti-smuggling campaign that just in the first two months uh, resulted in over 1,800 arrests. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the border is closed, uh, which is in part why you see people trying All right. uh, to make this dangerous journey. Using minimal, minimal. Con uh, by the leaders of the civil rights movement. 
Supporters arrived by buses, trains. They're sweeping this under the rug. DHS, Department of Homeland Security, ICE had no official statement. Nothing. Nothing on their Twitter page. They just want to, well, not acknowledge it because, let's face it, Joe Biden, this is on him. He demanded, pleaded with migrants to come to the border. Do you remember? What I would do as president is several more things because things have changed. I would, in fact, make sure that there is, we immediately surge to the border. All those people are seeking asylum. They deserve to be heard. That's who we are. We're a nation that says if you want to flee and you're fleeing oppression, you should come. Well, that was a really bad idea, a really bad idea. And the results, uh, people have been predicting this for a long time, all right? It's happened before, but... Nothing like this, certainly in recent years. Now, Joe Biden does get worked up sometimes. He didn't speak about this. KJP, his press secretary, barely spoke about it. Sometimes he does get passionate. When does that happen? It's outrageous. They will be an investigation underway now, and there will be consequences. Yeah. Remember that? Those guys on the horse, the Border Patrol guys, nobody died. It was just a, a photo that some people didn't like. For them, they tried to say this evokes another era, whatever. I saw guys doing their jobs. Nobody was whipped. Remember how bent out of shape they got over that? Remember how bent out of shape they got over the uh, so-called kids in cages? Trump administration and Republicans separated children from their parents at the border through kids in cages and made families sleep under aluminum foil. We saw kids in cages sleeping on the floor. Very easily arguable that it's morally wrong. Kids in cages, not okay. We've got kids in cages on the border. We've got people in, in prisons when they're trying to seek asylum. It's not right. It's beyond politics. It's about right and wrong. Okay, kids in cages, right? It was snappy, alliteration, but... Uh... They never pointed out that those cages were made by the Obama administration, but they all went there to the border. AOC bent down and cried. Remember this about the kids in the cages? All fiction. AOC showed us how sad she was about this. Where is AOC now? Where, are, where was Hillary Clinton today? Those people died a horrible death in a truck, and they don't give a damn. How about that? How about that? For them, it's all about this Roe v. Wade fight, right? Women will die someday. We're sure of it. We're going to make it happen. Sometimes I wonder. And actually, AOC herself seems to have some pretty dangerous advice. Forcing women to carry pregnancies against their will uh, will kill them. It will kill them. I, I, uh, mm, well, how do we fix that? Why do we talk about not getting pregnant in the first place? Yeah, yeah, I think we should. Is that corny? Is that silly? What about these pregnancy centers? Yes, the ones that have been firebombed. You want to just pretend that they're just not cool? You know, here's the perverted advice, perverse advice that she came up with. If you take a, an abortion pill and it doesn't go right, go to the hospital. If a person needs to go to the hospital, they can say they are having a miscarriage. There's no way for medical experts to tell the difference. She's gaming on beating the system. How about actually helping people? That's not what she's about. That's not what she knows. I mean, nothing against bartenders, but, you know, just before she got to Congress, she was a bartender. And uh, that's a pretty casual environment. And she's bringing that casual approach to life. 
to Congress. And it's, well, she's not providing much, not much at all. Next, the January 6th sham hearings with a new star witness. But guess what? We believe she's a big, fat liar. Uh, stay with us. And also, uh, it's primary night in much of the country. Emma Reckenberg is standing by with an update. And Greg, good evening to you. Polls are now closed across the country and the results are pouring in. We begin in New York, where Newsmax is projecting a win for incumbent Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul. But who will she face in November? On the Republican side, Lee Zeldin is taking the lead, followed by Andrew Giuliani. We're also watching Rob Astorino and Harry Wilson. Let's take you now to Illinois, where Trump-endorsed candidate Mary Miller is facing off against Rodney Davis. Will a Trump endorsement determine her win? Staying in Illinois at right now, she leads 53% to 47%, about 50% of the votes are in there. Let's stay in Illinois, where Darren Bailey is the projected winner on the B GOP side for governor here. He will face incumbent Governor J.B. Pritzker, come November. We'll be watching that race. Over in Colorado now, Newsmax projecting a win for Joe Odea against Ron Hanks. This despite the Democrats' effort to push Hanks to victory with financial support. Odea will face current Senator Michael Bennett in November. GOP hoping to flip that seat. For the governor's seat, though, Democrat incumbent Jared Polis will face either Greg Lopez or Heidi Ganahl. So we are watching as those results come in. Heidi taking the lead, 53 percent to Greg's 47 percent, 66 percent of the votes in right now. And finally for you, the Oklahoma special election congressman Mark Wayne Mullen holding a commanding lead here. It is a crowded field to replace retiring Senator Jim Inhofe. If a candidate does not receive 50 percent of the votes, it will head to a runoff in August, and we'll be watching that. We'll keep an eye on all these races, bringing you updates throughout the night, and of course, tomorrow morning on National Report with my co-host, Sean Kreisman. Keep it right here on Newsmax. More Greg Kelly right after the break. Hey, I'm Rob Carson, host of the Rob Carson Show podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view, and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app, and it downloads directly to your smartphone, so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app, or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All I can, I can say... say is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? And boy, oh boy, did they swoon. They thought they had a redo of Watergate, their new John Dean. This very junior person, her name is Cassidy Hutchinson, sworn in today at the January 6th hearing. Now, uh, let's see. What's special about her? Quite frankly, I think they picked her in part because of her looks. Yes, a lot of this stuff was done based on optics. Absolutely. We'll get to what she said in a moment. They've done this before. They had hundreds of cops to choose from. They chose Miss Edwards. Do you remember her with the blonde hair? They specifically chose her. And for their fancy photo ops, when they show off the Capitol Hill police, what do they, who do they put out there? Folks who look like this, okay? Um, it's all, it's all a game. It's all a game. And they really made this witness uh, 
I think they dressed her up real nice. I think they may have sent her to some sort of uh, Rancho Relaxo, uh, but take a look at, I mean, that's what she looked like back at the White House. Here's what she looks like today. I think they gave her a bit of a, I don't know, an appointment with the fashion police or something. I'm sorry. Let's get to the substance of what she said. The shocking allegation that President Trump got into a fight, essentially, with the Secret Service agent. President Trump insisted that they go to the Capitol on January 6th. And the agent said no, and President Trump basically attacked him and tried to take over the car. Tony described him as being irate. The president said something to the effect of, I'm being president, take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Engel. And when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. Did you hear that? When Mr. Somebody or other told me this story, this is hearsay, somebody told her this story. Well, the guy involved in the story is saying it's actually not true and has sworn already twice that it isn't true. Get to that in a moment. She mentioned the beast. Okay, this is on January 6th. The president insisted that we take the beast uh, to the Capitol and he grabbed the steering wheel. Well, can you grab the steering wheel from the back seat of that vehicle, the beast? No, you can't. The driver's compartment is just that, a sealed compartment. The president's all the way in the back. Now, there's another vehicle that moves the president around sometimes. It's, uh, it's a tricked-out SUV. See the presidential uh, sign there? Um, but that's not the beast. They don't call it the beast. And she was saying the beast. I'm sorry, but this is her story is not adding up. Uh, Bobby Engel is the Secret Service agent mentioned by her. And uh, we're getting all kinds of reports that this is not what he told the authorities when they came asking him. And he may be prepared to say so again. Who knows? Maybe even publicly. This was a disaster for them. They're impressed by what she looks like, but her story does not add up. You described for us a meeting in the White House around 10 a.m. in the morning of January 6th involving Chief of Staff Meadows and Tony Ornato. Were you in that meeting? I was. Let's listen to your testimony about that meeting, and then we'll have some questions. I think the last time we talked, you mentioned that um, some of the weapons that people had at the rally included flagpoles, oversized um, sticks or flagpoles, um, bear spray. Is there anything else that you recall hearing about that um, the, the people who would gather on the Ellipse had? I recall Tony and I having a conversation with Mark probably around 10 a.m., 10, 15 a.m., where I remember Tony mentioning knives, guns in the form of pistols and rifles, um, bear spray, body armor, spears, and flagpoles. Oh, my. Did you hear all those weapons? Wow. Did she see them? No. Some guy named Tony told her about something he heard. What else? 
Ms. Hutchinson, is it your understanding that Mr. Ornato told the president about weapons at the rally on the morning of January 6th? That's what Mr. Renato relayed to me. Oh, this is very serious stuff. That's what Mr. Renato relayed to me. Where the hell is Mr. Renato, this Tony guy? Well, he's not there for some reason. Why do you think they had her testify and not Tony? Take a guess. I think it might have something to do with the hair. I'm sorry. They actually are making these casting decisions based on the superficial. All right. So back to uh, January 6th and what they were what law enforcement was actually seeing that day. Here's Donald Trump giving the speech, the famous speech. Uh, so we're hearing that they were concerned about weapons in the crowd. Now, is that true? Maybe. Take a look. The select committee has learned about reports from outside the magnetometers and has obtained police radio transmissions identifying individuals with firearms, including AR-15s, near the ellipse on the morning of January 6th. Let's listen. There's an individual in a tree, maybe a white male, about six feet tall, thin build, brown cowboy boots. He's got blue jeans and a blue jean jacket, and underneath the blue jean jacket, the complainants both saw a stock of an AR-15. He's gonna be with a group of individuals, about five to eight, five to uh, eight other individuals. Two of the individuals in that group are green fatigues, green olive draft style fatigues, about five eight, five nine, skinny, uh, skinny white males, brown cowboy boots. They had Glock style pistols in their waistband. 8736 with the message that subject, um, weapon on his right hip. Copy that, he's in the tree. Motor one, make sure PPD knows they have an elevated threat in the tree south side of Constitution Avenue. Look for the don't tread on me flag, American flag face mask, cowboy boots, weapon on the right, right side hip. I got three men walking down the street in fatigue with carrying AR-15, copy at Fort Seaford Independent. AR-15s at 14th and Independence. Yeah, but nobody saw any AR-15s at 14th and Independence. What's happening here, they're being deceptive. Those are police talking about reports. Those are not police talking about things they've actually seen. You heard about the complainant. The complainant says they see AR-15s, guys in trees with pistols. No police officers have seen them. They're just talking about what's being reported and dispatching officers. Were people arrested with AR-15s at uh, 15th and Constitution or wherever that was? No. As we all know by now, there were no firearms at this event, at uh, the Capitol or at the Ellipse. She's being incredibly, incredibly dishonest. I was in the vicinity of a conversation where I overheard the president say something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing mags away. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here. Let the people in. Take the effing mags away. Just to be clear, Ms. Hutchinson, is it your understanding that the president wanted to take the mags away and said that the armed individuals were not there to hurt him? That's a fair assessment. That's a fair assessment. Well, there were no weapons. There were no weapons. Now, they're saying that, well, President Trump heard about weapons and therefore, I, theoretically, he should have said something, but there were no weapons. This is, this is a scam. This is a scan designed to take Trump out, and it's not going to work. She 
was busted today, big time. But the, she got her she got her shot right. You know, national stardom. Nobody was really watching, but boy, did they heap on the praise. I want to begin by thanking Ms. Hutchinson for her testimony today. We are all in her debt. Our nation is preserved by those who abide by their oaths to our Constitution. Our nation is preserved by those who know the fundamental difference between right and wrong. Ms. Hutchinson, thank you. Thank you for doing your patriotic duty. Thank you for your courage in testifying here today. You have the gratitude of this committee and your country. Not me. <laughs> and a lot of other people. No one was really paying attention. But you will be rewarded, Cassidy. Uh, don't get your hopes up. It's not really such a big thing. Uh, free hair and makeup and a guest spot on The View. Lots of uh, 20-somethings who uh, became disenchanted with Trump, uh, who worked for Trump, get to go on The View. Like Alyssa Farah, right? That's her name. She was communications director. Left in a big huff, uh, actually even before January 6th. I think she was fired. Uh, Stephanie Grisham, also, uh, they weren't impressed with her. She got to be on The View. This is a thing. How about Olivia Troy? She worked for Vice President Pence and then made a big deal about hating Trump. And, oh, January 6th, she got to be on The View. So, Cassidy, I would say within the next three months or so, you will be on The View as well. The only one who makes real money there is... Um, um, Whoopi. So, you know, I, I don't know what the, if it's worth it. Uh, meanwhile, how can you have a January 6th hearing and not talk about the man who died yesterday, Michael Stinger? Now, who is he? He was the Senate Sergeant of Arms on January 6th. He has publicly said that more needs to be investigated about maybe the agitators, the professional agitators who came from across the country to be there on January 6th. He raised some important questions He's dead. How did he die? No one's saying. No one is saying. I mean, he's only 71 or 72 years old. What happened here? And Ashley Babbitt, Ashley Babbitt, how can you talk about January 6th without talking about Ashley Babbitt? 538 days. I don't know how many more days to go, but there will be justice and there will be accountability and we'll get our questions answered. She should be alive right now. Folks, stay with us. Governor Christy Nome is here from South Dakota. She has a new book, and uh, she's actually right here in New York. I'm pleased to meet her. We'll be right back. Some big-time corporations out there seem to love abortion. Yeah, and actually, when it comes to their employees, they're already saying, oh, we're going to take care of all your expenses if you have to go to another state to get your abortion. Take a look at some of the uh, dollar figures. Amazon, $4,000 a year. You can spend $4,000 flying yourself around the country getting abortions. Dick's, $4,000 per trip. Netflix, $10,000. Wow, how generous. Not really. Actually, consider this. Actually having a child and delivering the beautiful baby and then taking maternity leave for how long is it? Two months, three months, four months? That's a lot more expensive. Can I see those numbers again? 
$4,000 here, $10,000 there. I mean, paying somebody to stay home with a beautiful baby, that's a lot more money than what they're offering. I wonder if that's their motivation here. Okay, who remembers Jacob Fry? the weirdo mayor of Minneapolis. He was there when George Floyd was, well, when he died. Look at him now. All right, I just can't understand anybody who's in a parade. He's not, he's wearing a baseball shirt from college and it looks like his sister's shorts. Not even wearing a costume or something like that. Look, he's overdoing it. These politicians, so many of them are so silly. George Floyd died when he was mayor. He's still mayor now. Uh, the cops, well, we know what happened, Chauvin and the rest, and the media kept so many facts away from us. Not me, I was able to figure it out. Like for instance, in Mayor Fry's police department, this was an authorized procedure. No kidding. Putting a, a neck restraint, non-deadly force option defined as compressing one or both sides of a person's neck with an arm or leg. The maneuver was actually authorized by his police department. He's the mayor. But let's face it, getting into the minutia of this stuff, that's no fun. Jumping around like a jerk at a parade? Oh, after what happened to him two years ago, I mean, the community, they were finished with him. Remember when he, he got booed so bad? This is the mayor of the city. I think that's the same shirt, by the way. And he's just walking off. They have no respect for him whatsoever. That's the mayor of Minneapolis. And now look at him. Same shirt, new attitude. Everybody, look at Jacob at the gay parade, right? I mean, yeah, that is the same shirt. Uh, I think it's really silly. We expect more. We should get more from our leaders. We don't. Also, did you hear the Biden voice message, the one he left for Hunter? Who leaves voicemails anymore? It's not really a thing. But Joe left this for Hunter. Hey, Palace Dad. It's 8.15 um, on uh, Wednesday night. If you get a chance, give me a call. Nothing urgent. I just want to talk to you. I thought the article, at least the thing on online, that's going to be printed tomorrow in the Times, was good. I think it's clear. And uh, anyway, um, if you get a chance, give me a call. I love you. I think you're clear. I looked at the story, by the way. Yeah, it's the fake news. They didn't lay a glove on Hunter Biden. They didn't even try to. But these guys have been a profit-making duo for a long time. Take a look at this. Back in, it's like in 2005, Hunter, you see him there, goes with his dad to an event in South Carolina. This illustrates how they operate. He is watching Hunter very closely for the time where he should swoop in if there's any business to be done. I'm serious. It actually happens. He's watching every little thing. And when he sees an opportunity, he swoops in. Take a look. Well, maybe you can work something out, man. Yeah, yeah, that's, right. yeah, that's what we'll do. Well, Hunter was just telling about his firm in Washington. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a card by I do. I, I don't, but I'll give you my. Uh, well, let me give you my. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll get, I gave them all away. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was a wonderful speech. That was Bo who wrote that. Are you? You're the core of what I wrote there. Your dad. See what happened? Maybe we can work something out.
Guy already picks up on just picks up on it. Oh, Hunter, do you have a card? And they sidestep away. Wow, talk about swampy. Plausible deniability, I think they call it. Hey, stay with us. We are going to meet Governor Christy Nome. She has a new book and uh, a big, bright future. Stay with us. the go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. Hey, uh, it's primary night and our Emma Reckenberg is standing by with uh, the latest. Greg, thank you very much. The results are in. Newsmax projects a win for Lee Zeldin in the New York Republican primary for governor. He will face current governor Kathy Hochul this November. We'll take you now to Utah. Incumbent Senator Mike Lee projected to win at this with coming in around 58% of the vote already for the night. He again will head to election in November. In Illinois now, Newsmax projecting a win for Darren Bailey. He'll be facing Governor J.B. Pritzker this fall. That was a big one there. We were watching. Also in Illinois, a battle of two incumbent Congress members. Trump endorsed Mary Miller, projected to win against Rodney Davis. Keep in mind, Miller did have that Trump endorsement. We'll head now to the Rocky Mountain State over in Colorado. Joe Odia is the projected winner against Ron Hanks. This is for Senate here. Odia now expected to face current Senator Michael Bennett this November. And for you in Colorado, another race we were watching, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert with a strong win over Don Coram. This was a race that had a lot of people talking, uh, and she's a very staunch Trump supporter as well. Finally, in Oklahoma for you, Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen is headed to a runoff in August for the spe special election for Senate there. His challenger still yet to be determined. There have been a number of people in the race, including T.W. Shannon. Let's bring back in our panelists now for their final thoughts of the night. We're joined by Rick Santorum, Mark Halperin, and Dick Morris. They're with us back once again. And Rick, I'll start with you. What stands out to you most when you look at the Republican winners tonight? Uh, a couple of January 6th stories. Uh, number one was uh, Michael Guest, who's the incumbent congressman from uh, Mississippi, who voted for uh, the January 6th commission and uh, had a very, very tough primary, uh, was actually, you know, on a dead heat. Uh, Oddly, more people turned down in the runoff than turned out in the in the primary, which is unusual. And he he swamped his opponent in the primary. So very unusual for a uh, uh, you know incumbent to do that much better uh, in a runoff. And you, one must look at. I mean, the, the big issue that the opponent was running against him on was January sixth. So query whether you know the January sixth hearings actually uh, you know uh, actually didn't help. Uh, the person who was running on January 6th and and the fact that Michael Guest voted for the uh, uh, for that commission. So uh, you might see that as uh, as a little bit of a ding to, to President Trump uh, in the state of Mississippi. Uh, the other January 6th was uh, is in Colorado, the Senate race. You mentioned Joe uh, Odeo winning that primary. And again, uh, his opponent, who the Democrats spent millions of dollars to try to win that primary, was uh, right. in the Capitol, was around the Capitol, I'm not sure, yeah. in the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, Republicans were nervous about that. Democrats spent a lot of money on that race to try to get him to be the nominee. 
and he did not uh, not survive. So oh, two, will, uh, two different, different sides of that story. So interesting. Mark, there are several Trump-backed candidates securing their wins. What does that tell you about the direction of the GOP? Well, President Trump had a decent night, particularly in Illinois, where his uh, chosen candidates in a key house race that you talked about, as well as in the gubernatorial race, were victorious. I think uh, overall, uh, this is a night in which we continue to see the Republican Party, for the most part, choosing Trump candidates, whether they're Trump endorsed or not. That Colorado Senate nomination is an exception. And Dick, we'll end with this. Any surprises for you tonight? Well, I think that Zeldin won because the Republican Party in New York State is like the guy stranded in the desert who hasn't had a drink of water in decades. And now he's being offered water and he's not going to choose Pellegrino or Perrier. He doesn't care. He just wants water. And the idea that you, they could defeat Hochul and make the state Republican uh, for the first time in 30 years was so attractive that they weren't about to quibble about the candidate. And if the state committee endorsed Zeldin and he had more money, they were going to go with him. There was a boom for Giuliani, but I think ultimately the desire to focus on victory and not have any division was overwhelming. And the idea that yeah. New York State could elect a Republican governor is incredible. <laughs> Zeldin will now face Kathy Hochul come November, and we'll be watching that race as well. Appreciate the conversation tonight. Dick Morris, Mark Halpern, Rick Santorum, thank you. You at home, stay with us. We've got more Greg Kelly on the other side of this break. Well, we are thrilled to have with us the governor of South Dakota, Christy Nome, political superstar. And her book just dropped today. It's called Not My First Rodeo, Lessons from the Heartland. Governor Christy Nome, it is a thrill to meet you in person. Welcome Thank to you. Newsmax. It's fantastic to be here. Everybody's been so wonderful. I just so, might stay for a little bit. Oh, really? The big city? Well, for an hour or two. <laughs> <laughs> then I got to head back. Not my first rodeo. <laughs> Lessons from the heartland. By the way, mm -hmm. um, thank you for the book, but I just downloaded it as well. Oh, I bought good. It. Good. What's, well, I appreciate uh, that. Number one lesson. Well, my dad said consistently to us growing up, he said, you don't complain about things, you fix them. I think that's really how I ended up in government and politics was because of that advice. Uh, you know, my dad was killed in an accident when I was in college. He was only 49 years old at the time, and it overturned our whole lives. We got hit with death taxes, and all of a sudden we have this tragedy in our family, and then we have a tax bill where we owe the federal government hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that we couldn't pay. So... You know, I people always ask how I got involved in government and politics. It was because of that. It made me angry. So I just started showing up at meetings, recognizing I couldn't complain. I had to fix it. Sorry, but what kind of accident was he? You know, it's on our operation. There is grain bins on farms that hold thousands of bushels of grain. And he had gone into one and it had a crust on the top and he fell through hard grain on the top and it buried him and suffocated him. And how many siblings did you have? I have a sister and two brothers. I'm the third of four and my younger brother who was a senior in high school was with him at the time. So we got payloaders, started ripping the grain bin apart. Um, back then we didn't have 911. So I remember my, my the hired one of the hired guys that worked for us called my mom up at the house and said get help and she called the local elevator, which was two miles away, and all of a sudden we had 100 farmers in our yard digging through the corn trying to find dad. So, 
Well, tough stuff. I, mm -hmm. He must be very, very proud of you now, where, where, where he is, where I believe yeah. he is. And um, All right. Well, lesson number two. Yes. Well, I would say, um, you know, to work hard. And then also he gave us impossible things to do every day. He was a cowboy, so he was very tough. Uh, and I think, you know, many days we thought, Maybe he was trying to kill us by the jobs he gave us because he never taught us to do anything. I tell a story in the book about driving a semi at the age of 12. Um, and he didn't teach us to do that. In fact, we were going down the road, taking it home from the field, and he remembered he had to bring another truck home. So he said, Christy, jump over here, grab the wheel, take your corners wide and take it home and was gone. I remember diving across the cab of that semi and grabbing the wheel, not knowing how to shift, stop, do anything. Uh, made it the seven miles home and didn't even know how to stop the truck, so turned it off. And uh, I remember thinking to myself when that truck finally stopped, I cannot believe that I lived. And then the next thought in my head was, I bet I can drive every, anything now. How old were you <laughs> again? I was 12, 12, 12 years old. Well, better than Ben so, Affleck's kid. Yeah, I don't know if you know, I what, know what he did. I did he just... see what he did. <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky I made it home. Well, but... listen, there aren't many governors, quite frankly, of uh, South Dakota in the past that folks are familiar with or were yeah. familiar with when they were in office. You are a superstar, whether you like it or no, not. It didn't start out that way. It didn't start out that no. way. But uh, and actually, they were trying to cancel you because of mm -hmm. COVID mm -hmm. in a way. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that. What, what made your approach different? Well, I think most of the people in this country, the first time they heard my name was during COVID when liberals were attacking me for the decisions I was making in South Dakota. Rachel Maddow, Elizabeth Warren, night after night on the, on the national news saying I was irresponsible and dangerous, uh, reckless for what I was doing. But I really just believe that governors should only do their job. They shouldn't overstep their authority, especially in a time of crisis. And so South Dakota was the only state in the country that never once closed a single business. We didn't even define what an essential business was, because I don't believe that governors have the authority to tell you your business isn't essential. Never mandated anything. I just told my people I was going to trust them and give them personal responsibility, and we would get through it together. So, you know, it was through all that, people learned who I was. And while the left has attacked me, and at times the right, because in those early days, I wasn't getting any support from anybody because it was such a very different path that we took. But I think South Dakota is an example now today. Number one economy in the country. Our kids are leading the nation in educational outcomes. Fastest growing incomes of any place in the country. I have less than 600 people in the whole state that are on unemployment. People are happier. Uh, so I really think that, that what we did in our state is just what conservatives always say we believe. We did it and it worked. So you're in demand right now as a, uh, as a conservative who is pro-life and Roe v. Wade mm -hmm. has been overturned. And I saw you on the Sunday shows and mm -hmm. they're trying to trap you in this and that. I, I did. It's a consistent talking point I hear from the left. Women will die. Mm -hmm. Now, people die. You know, I, I just it's obviously triggering. It's emotional. And we can work so that people don't die. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of alternatives. But when you hear that, and I heard Hillary Clinton say it this morning, mm -hmm. what do you say? I say that they're lying. Uh, what the Supreme Court did was a decision that returned the power back to the states to have this conversation. The Supreme Court fixed a wrong decision from almost 50 years ago that now says that every state gets the opportunity to have their elected officials have this debate with the public there closer to home, which was appropriate. 
and is something that states have the right to do under our Constitution. So South Dakota is a pro-life state. We had a trigger law in place that said that abortions would be illegal if Roe was ever overturned except to save the life of a mother. I'm proud of that. I think that we have to have states that recognize they can come alongside mothers in this situation, that, that there are states that recognize that that may be a crisis for someone and that they need support, health care, uh, counseling, and maybe mentors to help them connect with maybe even adopted families who want to give their children a home. Can you see yourself being president someday? No. You know, I would be concerned about anybody that sees themselves being yeah. president someday. I think that uh, probably the last thing we need is a it's a president that wakes up every day passionate about wanting to be president. Sometimes, you know, that is, seems like at times it could be a miserable job. And it would be nice to have a reluctant president for once, one that does it out of duty rather than trying to have power and to get it for the position. It's, it's you know, we have a lot of really good, talented people. But anyone who would tell you that, you know, that they have to be the one, that they're the only one, I would say anybody with good common sense that appreciates the Constitution, that understands the role of government in people's lives as defined by our founders, you know, is someone I would first consider. Somebody who wants to get something done rather than just be well, president, uh, mm -hmm. which, by the way, um, and we're, we, we're basically wrapping up now, uh, now uh, Donald Trump, I think, feels that way. When's the last time you talked to him? If you can tell us, what's he, uh, what's he telling oh, you? I talk to him quite often. He's doing very well. He's very interested in running for president. I think he will. Um, if he does run for president, I don't think there's anybody that can beat him in a primary. You know, he's very popular. There's an incredible amount of people that are conservatives in this country that are extremely loyal to him. Uh, for him, the challenge would be a general election, and he knows that. He would have to build a team that can convince people that, that he can run this country um, in a way that upholds the law, makes people more safe, and gives them more opportunity to be successful. Well, Governor Christine Noem, great to meet you. The book is, let's put it up on the screen for everybody, Not My First Rodeo, Lessons from the Heartland by Governor Christine Noem. Thank you so much. And what's this all about? Greg? Every time I come see you, I want to bring you a special gift from South Dakota, and you cannot make good decisions unless you own a cowboy hat. Wow, and so it's a black a, hat. It's a black hat. You that look just means... like Johnny Cash in it. Thank That's you. perfect. Look really? at you. You do. You look like Johnny Cash. Come on. Yeah. Let me see. Did you sign the go. inside of it? I you did. sure did. Yep. This is very cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. I got to give you something. Um, no, you're good. You're what am I, uh, You want this bottle of water? <laughs> I, uh, Take this bottle of water. Oh, I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> no. Thank you so much, you all right, bet. to thank be continued. You. And we'll be right back. Get the book, everybody. Governor Nome, thank you. That's great. Thank you. That's great. It looks good on you. Is yes, that... you're going to be wearing that thing. News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere. Thanks a lot. Hey, tell everybody, 10 p.m., the new time. Do you like it? We like it. See you tomorrow, and many thanks.